Um, <laughs> what page are we on? Are we up to part two, page 15? No, we're right at the, I think we're on page 13. 12? End of 12, I think. End of 12, awesome. So we'll finish part two and we'll start part three today. We're learning the Maimur of Ayetze Yitzchak Lasuach Basadeh and we've been learning about the advantage of not being able to see and of not being enlightened, right? And we said the less enlightened we are in our Torah learning, the closer we are to that ability to know how to act with the mitzvahs and that's the closer that we are to the ultimate truth. The action of the mitzvah, even though it's the lowest form of the mitzvah, the least spiritual, is the most important. It's the most, it's, it's, and it comes from the loftiest source because it was the ultimate intention all along. Um, and we said that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai used to give explanations and reasonings for all the verses in the Torah. Um, however, he himself said that this is just, um, it's not really the main reason. We don't know the main reason for, for the mitzvahs. The main reason will only be revealed to us when Mashiach comes. So we said that we find that a mitzvah where we don't actually know the reason is sourced in a higher place. Okay, so now we're on the last paragraph of page 13. And this is a very interesting thing that the altar says. I'm going to reread um, the second last line from Uma, any understanding. So Uma Shema Sigtam V'tainuk. When there is some sort of understanding or reasoning or pleasure in the mitzvah, we're only receiving and connecting to an external aspect of the mitzvah. And again, that's not to say that we shouldn't strive to understand and to connect and to get pleasure from the mitzvahs and from serving Hashem. But when we do find, get stuck in those places where we can't, that's, that, that we should know that that's actually where we're really getting to the deepest point. So here now the altar says, This is not what the world says. This is the opposite of what the rest of the world says. What does the world say? The world says the main thing is the heart. Whatever your heart feels, that's what's real, that's what's true. Where you understand and you get pleasure. And to serve in a way of excitement. But this is not true so the whole idea of like follow your heart you know um there's something deeper than following our heart and that is that when you do actions that we've been commanded to do we connect with something that's deeper than where our heart leads us so the ultimate is not serving hashem with excitement actually this is what the ultimate is saying it's not the ultimate the ultimate is in those places where you don't feel excitement and you do it anyway rak ikar the main thing Page 14. Hu hamasa, it's the action, bli tainug, without the pleasure. Vahalev eina kiim siyua. The heart is just, siyua uh, means like taking you. So, siyua means like it's taking you, bechinis gatfin, in a way of wings. So, as I mentioned yesterday, Chassidus explains that Ahava and Yira, which is love and fear, the emotions that we serve Hashem and the emotions that we infuse in our service of Hashem and in our mitzvahs are called the wings. So the wings of the bird. The body of the bird is the action. That's the main thing. That's the most important thing. The addition, the bonus, is the Ahava and the Yira, the love and the fear, which are the wings which raise the bird up and allow it to fly and soar to levels that it could not reach if it was only on a level of action. So... So you can say in a way the love and the fear is it's it's higher in terms of you feel more connected and it will allow your mitzvah to soar higher. There's a there's a very famous story of the 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 Tov, that he was in Germany and he walked into a shul 
And he said, wow, there are so many angels in this shul. And the rabbi said, well, thank you so much. And the Bashem said, that's not a compliment. The angels are supposed to soar up to heaven. But because there wasn't enough kavan and intention, the love and the fear, the wings of the angels were compromised. They're stuck here in the shul. So we need the love and the fear. We need the emotion. We need the passion. We need the excitement. But that is secondary to the main thing. The main thing is the action. And there was once um, someone who wrote to the Rebbe that he wanted, he was waiting to understand a certain element um, of a mitzvah before he would take it on. He was first trying to like understand all the nuances and reasonings. And the Rebbe wrote back, that's like going to the doctor and the doctor saying, God forbid, you have a very serious illness and you need to take this medicine right now in order to save your life. And then you saying to the doctor, well, I don't know what's in this medicine. I don't understand this illness properly. I'm going to first go to medical school, understand everything about the illness, understand everything about the medicine, and then I'll take it. And the Rebbe said, by the time the person does that, it's too late. He's not alive, God forbid, in order to, to, to take the medicine. So in our spiritual life as well, we say, oh, I'm going to wait until I feel, I'm going to wait until I understand. By then, it could, it's never too late, but it could be you're so far, you, you've, you've gone so far that now it's much harder to actually do it. So doing the action is like taking the medicine, right? And then once we're doing that, it's our spiritual medicine, it's our spiritual connection. Even though we don't feel, even though we don't understand, we can add the wings, we add the love, we add the fear, we add the emotion and the understanding and our own personal connection to it as well. But that is considered to be secondary, okay? According to this, did you know that, that question of like, is it better to do things without understanding or learning about it or the necessary or the other way around? So the answer would be it's better to do it with the intention. <laughs> but if you're not holding there, then yeah, I mean, this is a very common question people will ask specifically about davening. Because the commentators say about davening specifically, like that, like the whole point of it is the intention, right? You're talking, you know, you're talking from your heart. So what if you're not talking from your heart? It's always this question we used to always ask our rabbis. At the end of the day, the answer is that you should do it. The action. Don't wait for the emotion. Um, because, you know, just we see this with the myths of Tefillin, right? That the, we now are very into with the war, but the Rebbe pushed so much. The Rebbe got a huge backlash from people when he did myths of Tefillin, when he encouraged people to just put Tefillin on random Jews on the street and on the beach and wherever they, wherever they found Jews. There was, a huge, there was a huge backlash against it. And the argument was, this person has no idea what he's doing. This person probably didn't even wash Negovasa in the morning, right? Didn't wash his hands. This person, you have no idea where he's coming from, where he's going. And you're going to tell him to do a mitzvah right now, to put on tefillin, this holy object. And, you know, when we learn the premise and the philosophy behind all of these, um, you know, big, big things that characterize Chabad, like mitzvah tefillin, you see that the answer is, well, no, the most important thing is the mitzvah. That is the most important thing. And maybe by doing the mitzvah, he'll then be able, right? Mitzvah goreris mitzvah, mitzvahs lead to mitzvahs. By him doing that, he's connecting in that moment. He's connecting as much as you are connecting when you put on tefillin with all your kavanot. Because he's doing the action. That's the main thing. And hopefully from there, he'll be able to go from strength to strength. But every mitzvah that we do, when we're doing the action of the mitzvah, it's the most important thing. It's like in your podcast about happiness. Sorry. <laughs> I literally listened. Like, you listen to it? Yeah. I was going, I was going like you said, like like the woman, I forgot her name. Anyways, like the um, the speaker said, like um, you first like help you. You cannot convince yourself to be happy. You cannot convince yourself to do, like to be happy from the from the mitzvah. Meaning, like now I'm gonna be like you cannot like set emotion like this. 
but you can do it and then figure it out from there. Like you can do a first step towards it and then like put emotions. You're giving me so much nachos right now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Legit. <laughs> And, and it's so, so, so true. She says there, and it's pretty controversial, um, but she says, like, positive thinking and gratitude and all those things are great, but if you don't feel happy, you're not going to be able to ha have positive thinking. You have to first change your feelings so that you can um, change those things, to change your state. And she says you do that through, through laughter and through laughing. So... Um, very true. And it's interesting how the Altar Rebbe says, yeah, this is not the way that the world thinks. The world thinks the lave, the heart, is the most important thing. And it's so true that we, we get influenced by that culture and we say, well I, well, I meant this. Well, I truly, like, this is what I meant. It's like, yeah, but what did you do? Because when we look at a person, we look at what they do at the end of the day. At the end of the day. The, the difficulty in this, okay, is that our actions are the furthest thing away from the truth of our soul. The absolute furthest thing away. I've said this before. But they also express who we are the most to the world, right? When you really want to know about someone, okay? You want to know who they are. Are you going to say, try to do like MRIs and look at their brain? I mean, there's some you know, to do do that these days. But um, there's this one guy who I listened to a podcast where he, he scanned like over 200,000 brains and he said anyone that he dates, he first, he scans their brain first. Um, but, but that's not usually what we do. And our brain isn't even our soul. So how, how do we... You know, there's some people who also want to, like, read fine handwriting from someone. Yeah, and, yeah. and they, like, steal a piece of their handwriting and take it to the handwriting the interpreter. Yeah. Um, or they find out the horoscopes. But, like, when, at the end of the day, when we want to know who a person is, we look at how they present themselves in the world, at yeah. their actions, right? Um, you, someone can talk and talk and talk all day about all these amazing things. What are you actually doing? So it's the furthest away from the true expression of ourselves, which is very, very difficult to say... That's not me. And we know that sometimes our actions really don't represent who we really are. But they are the way that we show up in the world. And it's the ultimate expression at the end of the day of our soul. Is, what, is the actions. So this is, not, this is not what the world says. It matters what's going on in the heart. And what the heart feels is the most important thing. And um, yeah, so, so it's a bit going against, going against the, the current with this idea. But, but this is the truth at the end is of the day. There, um um, is this the same concept? I think what would be similar here from what he said that the main thing is not the heart is that, yeah, we have something that's able to control the heart, right? We have something above the heart. You're not defined by your feelings, which is So, yeah. I think there's a connection. I don't know if the point is exactly the same right here. But yeah, just the fact that you're not defined by your feelings and our service of God is not defined by our feelings. And it's hard because a lot of people say, I'm a Jew at heart, right? Have you heard that term? I'm a Jew at heart, right? Um, and it's like, that's great. That's good that you, you feel proud of your Jewishness and you feel connected. But what are you, what are you doing at the end of the day? That's how you really connect. Um, so we see... From all, of the, oh, from all of this, there's an advantage in knowing the details of how to fulfill the mitzvahs, going back to the Brisa and the Mishnah, as explained in the Brisa and the Gemara, even over the knowledge of the Mishnah, which contains all of the oral Torah in general manner. This is because the main thing is the actual performance of the mitzvahs, even if we don't understand the reasoning for these details. Not only that, but the fact that we can't understand the reason for the details is because they are rooted in Hashem's wisdom, deeper excuse me, deeper than any human understanding. It comes out from this 
the main connection to Hashem is not based on what we can understand and feel, which is inherently limited, but on the performance of his mitzvahs, which contain infinite depth beyond what any created being could ever, could ever fathom. So in, cha- in Tanya chapters 39 and 40, the Alter Rebbe describes how the love and fear of Hashem are the two wings that cause our Torah and mitzvahs to fly up to, to Hashem. So connecting it back to the Mishnah and the Brisa, which was the example that we used, which we're going to elaborate on here in part two, how can we say the Bryce is higher than the Mishnah if the Mishnah includes all of the oral Torah in a general way and it's closer to the truth and to the godliness? And the answer is only through the Bryce's are we able to know how to serve Hashem in all of the details to be able to do the mitzvah to the fullest, to be able to actually, not even to the fullest, to be able to practically perform the mitzvah at all. We need the Bryce's, we need the Gemara, we need that back and forth, which is very hard to follow along with and it's very you could, you could say, like, if God cares the most about halachas, why didn't he make it simple for us to be able to know what the halachas are? It makes it so complicated. Or enjoyable, right? It's complicated. It's difficult to understand. It's, it's covered in all these details, these arguments, right? It's a difficult... Um, when you learn the Gemara, especially the Talmud Bavli, it's arguments. It's like almost fighting. No, it's this. No, it's this. No, it's this. Why didn't Hashem just give it out, lay it out clearly? And the answer is because it's in that struggle to find the details when we're actually touching the truth. And um, yeah, and it's in that struggle where we don't truly understand, where it's not all enlightened and handed to us easy by God that we're able to connect to the truth. So now we're going to take this idea of Mishnah and Brisa, and we're going to elaborate further on, on this idea. We're going to take it deeper. So, was anyone here when we learned about the king in the field? Yes. Yeah? So, this is going to bring an idea from the king in the field. I think the, the, the main mimer of the king in the field that everyone knows, I told you in like one day, I think. And then we did the, the lesser known mimer, which is a lot more kind of technical. But in the, in the main king in the field, mimer and mashal, we have this idea that the king goes to the field. Right? The king leaves the city where his, he is in his capital, where he is with his ministers, and he goes to the field. And in Hasidus, the city and the field represent the same idea as the king in the field. It represents the same idea all over Hasidus. That the city represents a place where sophisticated people live. Right? That's in the physical city. And in a spiritual city, that's a place where sophisticated creations live. What does it mean sophisticated? That they understand elements of God, that they're more connected, they're closer. So, that, so who would live in this spiritual city? Angels, souls, and Sadiqim. Okay? And then we have the field. Who lives in the field? Field, the farmers live in the field. Simple people. There's very, very few people. It's mainly just crops, right? A food. And the field represents, in a spiritual level, those who serve Hashem without enlightenment, without truly understanding who the king is, without seeing the king all the time, without getting any excitement from it. That would be, so according to the Alter Rebbe, those in the field would be actually the Beinunim, those who don't understand, but they do everything they're supposed to do. And then the Midbar, the Alter Rebbe explains, the desert where no man lives is where the sinners live. And they have to leave the desert, go to the field. We don't usually learn it that way because the Rebbe kind of, canceled out that <laughs> said no 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 everyone's in the field <laughs> everyone can greet the king so when we're saying the field we mean regular people yeah um wait who did, where did you say the cities where sophisticated people live but like spiritually what did you say what was the sophisticated creations like angels souls and and sadiqim yeah and you know just as in a the city there's different ranks you can live in the city but you can be the lowest rank in the city you can be the highest there's 
you know, within Siddiqui, within souls, within angels, there's many different levels. But they all have some sort of sensitivity, understanding. They're closer. Those in the field, the farmers, they're simple. They're, they're, they're providing the food. They're making the food. They're doing what they're told to do without any sort of, um, you know, understanding behind it. So we're going to see that the, the cities compared to the Mishnah, where there's some sort of sophistication and godliness and light. And the Brisa is called the Sadeh, because we know Brisa means... But comes from the word bar. Bar means outside. The sadeh, the field, is outside of the city. It's on the outskirts of the city. And we're going to slowly be connecting this idea back to the original verse where Yitzchak goes out to the field. Okay, so, so part two. Any questions or comments before we go into part two? Ready? Okay. Vehine. So now, Mishnah Nikra'ir. A Mishnah is called a city. The Brisa Bechinas Sadeh, and the Brisa is called a field because Brisa comes Lishon Bar from the word Bar Chutz La'er, that which is outside of the city. And you would think, Ha'ir Hu Ha'ikar, that the city is the main thing, the most important place to be, the most important status to have is to be living in the city where you're close to the king, where you're an architect, or you're a lawyer, or you're a doctor. We would think that that's the main thing, those are the most important people in society. Shedarim Babne Adam, because that's where people live. Ah, however, Nira, you have to take a look. Mihu Machaya Oisam. Who gives them life? Who feeds the people in the city? Hasadeh, those in the field. Shechutzlaer, which is outside of the city. Shemivim Misham Hatvo, because that is where all the produce, that is where all of the food comes from that feeds all these sophisticated people. Kachua Brisa. Same as with the brisa. That's why a brisa is compared to a field. Because the brisa, Machaya HaMishnah, gives life to the Mishnah. And it explains the law, Yoter Befrat, in much more detail, how the mitzvah should be fulfilled. So yes, the brisa is less godly and less enlightened, but it feeds the Mishnah. If we would just open up a Mishnah, and we would, and it says here actually, that you're not allowed to just open up a Mishnah. And it's a, the, the rabbis say, the sages say in Masech HaSoyta, those who open up a Mishnah and teach halacha from the Mishnah, he's destroying the world. You need the Brises. So the, so the Mishnah on the one hand is the source for the Brises because that's where... The Brises are the details of the mitzvahs that were left out of the Mishnah. Oh, where do you find them? We have them in the Gemara, brought down. So, so you can't teach Mishnah without Gemara? Right. You can teach Mishnah without Gemara. You can't extract halachot, practical how to serve God from the Mishnah. You need the Gemara, you need the whole seder ishtalshalot of, of halacha. It's called, what's it called? The, the words are doing me. The something of halacha. There's like a subject that many people learn, which is like, like smicha. What smicha is, when, when men learn smicha today, they're basically learning how... Do we go from the Torah all the way down to the halacha? So the progression of halacha, that's what it's called, the progression of halacha. So it progresses from the Mishnah down into the Brises, the Gemara, and then down into the Shulchan Aruch, where we actually um, have the practical, practical so details. the Shulchan Aruch is like an easy version of the Gemara, or...? The Shulchan Aruch comes from, from the Gemara, from the arguments and the conclusions that were made in the Gemara we get finally we get the Shulchan Aruch, which is, this is how you actually serve God. Because there's many different opinions brought in the Gemara. And then 
they're kind of fought out and argued. And then we have, okay, they're all right. Because Elo ve'elo divrei lekimchem, these are all the words of God. But for our service of God right now, where we're holding, this one's right. Many times it'll be explained. This one will be relevant, let's say, when Mashiach comes. This one will be right when Mashiach comes or for a different time. Um, but the Brises, they are the ones that teach us the details of the halachas. They have to be hashed out in the Gemara because there's many Brises that contradict each other. So we need, we need that to be hashed out. But at the end of the day, that's where we get the details from. So the Brises feeds the Mishnah. It allows the Mishnah to fulfill its purpose, which is to teach us the oral Torah, to teach us that which has been passed on from Moshe, how to do the mitzvahs. So the Brisa feeds, gives life to the Mishnah, it explains the halachas in detail how to do them. Ki hatanoim, the tanoim, the sages told us, mavale oilam, that he is a, someone destroys the world. If you teach halacha from the Mishnah, it's as if you've destroyed the world. And we know that, what does that mean? That Yiddishkeit will not be able to survive if you just learn from the Mishnah. You're going to end up as some version of like the Sadducees who only follow like the general, right? And then when it comes to the details, they don't follow it. So now we're finally going back to the original verse. Based on everything that we've understood so far, which has been brought and explained to us in the example of a Mishnah and a Bryce, but which can be used in many, many different areas of Judaism, was almost like a mashal to explain this concept in Hasidus. That the darker something is, the further away it is from enlightenment and light, the closer it is to the truth. So now we can see how this verse, that Yitzchak went out into the field before evening, and then he lifted up his eyes, and he saw the camels with Rufka and Eliezer were approaching. So we're looking at the first part of the verse, which discusses Yitzchak going out into the field before evening. We said in the Gemara, to explain this is the source for the Mincha prayer. There are many different commentaries and explanations about what this verse is actually talking about, mainly because lasuach, the word lasuach, has many different interpretations. I think we discussed this at the beginning. Lasuach can mean to, to speak, can mean to pray, can mean to bend down. So based on how you understand lasuach, you can understand different contexts for this verse. So we're going to be understanding this verse according to its deeper meaning that we've understood now that we've understood these Hasidic concepts. So the Alter Rebbe has explained the difference between the Mishnah and Brisa and the advantage that the Brisa, the field, has in sustaining us with detailed Torah laws, like the physical field gives grain, which makes bread to live off of. And just an interesting side point that Hasidus explains that a mashal for the halachot, an example for halachot, is actually hair, se'ar, hair. The hair is... If you would compare the potential of the soul and the truth of our soul and our hair, okay, that's like the, the biggest, biggest, biggest gap, right? You can understand why the soul is so powerful. It's able to have, you know, keep the heart pumping and the brain working, and these are all sophisticated things. But at the end of the day, our hair, as is when it's attached to our head, is still growing. It's growing from the power and the life of the soul. And God forbid there's no more soul in the body, there's no more hair growing, right? So our, our hair is, is, is coming from, from the soul to life. And Hasidus explains something very unscientific, okay, that says that the brain includes within it all of our potential, basically, okay, our brain. And this is brought as a mashal, okay? So our brain includes all of our potential. It has our, even our subconscious and all of these things. And sometimes that potential is, <laughs> bless you, is too much to be channeled down 
to our heart and to our limbs and to our lungs. And that overflow, so the brain, like it has certain channels where you take the brain and you limit it and you channel it in different directions to give instructions and in life to different parts of the body. But then there's some point where the brain just like overflows because there's too much energy and life there and it overflows in the form of hair. The hair is considered the brain bursting through the skull, okay? and giving hair. So there's no science here. <laughs> there's no science here. It's a marshal. But the idea is that that potential kind of breaks forth in the form of hair. The hair is the, actually the most, the least sophisticated of all of the parts of our body, the hair and the nails, right? And that's why there's, but, but, at, the, but at the same time, it's like, this, it's like this overflow that couldn't be channeled in a regular direction and in a regular way. So the, the halachot, the idea is that Hashem channels down his Torah and channels down his light, channels down his truth into these Seder Ishtal Shalot, into, into, you know, sophisticated kind of channels and this feeds this and this feeds this part of Torah. And then we have the Halachot. They're the most, they're the least sophisticated, they're the most mundane, they're the least, um, you know, nuanced, but they're, they come from that overflow, from that bursting forth of Hashem's light that expresses itself in the Halachot. So it's an interesting idea with hair, and that's why in Kabbalah we have like a very big significance to hair, right? Like um, men are not allowed to cut their beards, right? And we, we don't cut the hair of a, a boy until he's three years old. Um, we cover we cover hair. That's actually for a different reason why we cover our hair. But men don't 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 cut their hair. And one of the reasons is because it represents this overflow, this 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 infinity that um, this infinity from the brain, for example, that doesn't have another channel. So it channels itself out, it breaks through in the form of hair. But it's interesting that like, although like all this, but at the same time, there, like there's various traits, like a lot of listen to the hair on the actual hat for the man. Meaning like, a lot oh, of- Oh, you're right. Of, you're right, and you have to pay like, off. Right, like, I didn't even think like, of that. Pay us, but yeah. at the same time, you're not like allowed to have like, any hair on top of yeah. their head, right, right, so we, we take, yeah, hair is like, we, we take it very seriously, right, we take it very seriously, but at the same time, we also say, wait, but there's like a tremendous amount of clipper that's unable to attach yeah. to the hair and to the nails, which is why we have to burn our nails, we have to bury them, we have to cover our hair once married, and the reason is because something that has the loftiest source is able to also feed the clippers, so, so it has almost this both sides. Like men don't cut their beard, women cover their hair because there's, yeah. there's both sides to it. Um, so, so this is like the, one of the examples that Tanya brings, that Hasidus brings, sourced in Kabbalah, for the halachas, which is, which is hair. It's like this overflow of Hashem's infinity that wasn't able to find a place and a channel in the regular limited forms of this world. And so it kind of burst forth in the form of halachas. So we're connecting to the deepest part of Hashem the deepest part of Torah, when we grapple with the Torah in order to understand the halachas, which is the hardest part of Torah and the least exciting, and when we actually then follow the halachas and connect them into the form of action. Okay? So let's see this inside now. How does this whole idea connect to Yitzchak going out into the field? How do we learn all of this from this verse? So now the Alter Rebbe will return to explain the verse quoted in the beginning of the Mimer, describing how Yitzchak went out to talk in the field before evening. Page 16. So this is the meaning of that Yitzchak went out to speak in the field. The word is from the word to speak and to have a conversation. 
to talk, but also it's from the word olshon shchia lamata to bend down. So we're going to go with this with this translation of lasuach, which means shchia, like lehishtachavot, has the same root word here, which is to bend down, to lower yourself. Lamata below. Milshon Vashach Rom Anashman, he will lower those men who see themselves as high. It says in Yeshaya that Hashem is going to lower all of those arrogant people who think they're so high, he's going to lower them from the term Vashach Shin Ches, Lasuach, Shin and Sin are interchangeable when it comes to these kind of things. So it's referring to bending down and to lowering yourself. And we also see this Vaken Kasher Ifares Hasoche Lishot, when the swimmer spreads out his hands to swim, he bends down first. When you, when you swim, you dive in, you bend down in order that you can then swim. So it comes from this language and terminology of bending down and lowering yourself. So we see from this that the word lasuach, mentioned regarding Yitzchok, can mean either to talk or to bend down. Then the next word that we have to understand is basadeh, in the field. Why did Yitzchak go out into the field specifically? Why didn't he go to the city? Why didn't he remain in his tent? And the answer, according to Hasidus, is basadeh hubar. What we understood about sadeh is that it's outside. It's outside of enlightenment. It's outside of understanding. This is similar to the Brisa, which is outside of the Mishnah, like the field is outside of the city. And then the final term of the verse, v'lifnot erev. He did this before evening. Lifnot comes from the word lifne. Lifne means before. But the word lifnot, if you change the nukudot, the vowels, also says the word lifanot. Anyone know what lifanot means in modern Hebrew as well? To clear up the table. So lefanot means to clear away. Erev, the evening. So the basic verse is Yitzchak went out to speak in the field before evening. The deeper meaning, based on what we've understood, Yitzchak went out, lasuach, to lower himself, to leave his place of enlightenment, to leave his place of Ruach HaKodesh, to leave his place of this tremendous connection with Hashem. Lasuach, to bend down, to lower himself from this level, basadeh, in the field, to go outside, to go outside of enlightenment, to go outside of understanding. Why? Lifnot Arab before evening, lefanot Arab in order to clear away the darkness, the evening. Lefanot ha'erev ha'choshech, to clear away the evening and the darkness. Okay? So, Yitzchak is one of the Avot. He was the holiest of the Avot. He was the one who... When we say the holiest, he was a korban, right? He, and he had the status of korban his whole life. And Rashi says that's why he's the only one who didn't marry any other wives. He didn't marry any shivchot. Um, Avram did, Yaakov did. Avram only married Rif, Yitzchak only married Rivka. And he was never allowed to leave the land of Eretz Yisrael. He was a pure, holy korban. And he saw the world and he saw the Torah and he connected to God in a very, very lofty, enlightened way. But Yitzchak wanted to to accomplish the purpose for why we live here, which is to clear away the darkness. So what did he have to do? Yitzchak had to leave his place, his state of enlightenment and his holy state, lasuach, to bend down, okay? From the word shchia, which means to lower yourself, to lower himself, basadeh, to the level of field, which is outside of the city, which is outside of sophistication and enlightenment and understanding. Why? Lefnot Erev before evening, lefanot Erev, to clear away the darkness. The only way, we mentioned this earlier, the only way you can clear away the darkness is by engaging into the darkness. Okay, this is different by what we said about Nisyanus. But when it comes, you want to clear away something, you have to show up there and clear it away, right? You have to put yourself in that space. 
Obviously, the altar mentions it as well. We mustn't get stuck there, God forbid. I think he's mentioning it actually off later. He hasn't mentioned it yet. He's going to mention the purpose of why we're here is to clear away the darkness. We have to go into the darkness in order to clear it away, but God forbid not to get stuck there. And we learn this from Yitzchak, who went out into the field, specifically, who lowered himself to the level of field so that he could clear away the darkness. Would you like for a minute this? It's incredible how you can just see how you take a verse from the Torah, which has a very simple meaning, and you can learn a whole lesson in how we connect to God and how we exist in this world and what our purpose is from this verse when you actually learn it according to Hasidus. It's a, this mimer is a very great, short and sweet example of how the Alter Rebbe kind of takes these verses and, and totally explains them in a Hasidic way. Okay. So now let's, let's elaborate. We'll finish it probably today, tomorrow. So, how does this apply to Torah study? Because this mima really is speaking about the advantage of learning Torah blind, without seeing the enlightenment in the Torah, having to struggle our way through the Torah. So, we're going to bring an example here from, even within the Talmud, even within the Gemara, there are two levels. Okay, we have within the oral Torah two general levels: the, the Mishnah and the Brisa. Right? We have within the Gemara two levels. What are those two levels? The Jerusalem Talmud and the Bavli Talmud. Right? Have you heard that there's two Talmuds? They were written around the same. They were written. They were discussed and compiled around the same time. One, however, I think the Jerusalem one came maybe slightly before. They were they overlap. There was an overlap. There was an overlap for sure, but one of them started a little bit before. Um, there was the Jerusalem one. No. What is it? But I, I feel like Jerusalem was just with the people who stayed like in Israel. Yeah. Um, so I have a. It's. I think that it was probably compiled in Yavne. Yeah. Because right, that makes sense. Because. <laughs> yeah, because the Yidden weren't allowed to be in Jerusalem after, after. This is when the Yidden were in Babylonia. There were still Yidden in Jerusalem. After the Romans, then there was Yavne. No, Yavne is after. No, yeah, Yavne is, is by is by the when the Romans. About, but with Bernie, did we talk about Yavne yeah, Yavne is the Romans. Like Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai went and he and he asked for. So 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 there were Jews still in Jerusalem. There were still Jews still in Jerusalem. Um, and so the Jerusalem Talmud is considered to be loftier than the Babylonian Talmud. First of all, it was written, not in, it was written in, in, in the land of Israel. Also, just the style of it. Most people don't learn the Jerusalem Talmud. Like the Bavli Talmud is, the Jerusalem Talmud is much clearer. It's not these back and forth arguments and fights and bringing in, oh, you mentioned this, so let me bring this in. Oh, and then you mentioned this, so let me bring this in. It's much more clear cut. It's easier to understand and to follow as opposed to the Talmud Bavli, which represents the idea that it was written in exile, right? Um, with all these back and forth and arguments and bringing this in and this in and follow-ups. So... There was actually um, a Tana who wanted to learn. I think he had first learned the, I don't remember which one he learned first, but let's say he learned first the Jerusalem Talmud and then he finished learning the whole Jerusalem Talmud and he wanted to learn the Babylonian Talmud. So it's brought in the Gemara that he fasted 70 fasts in order to forget everything he had learned from the Jerusalem Talmud so he can then learn the, the Babylonian Talmud because you have to kind of, the idea you have to level your in order to level yourself up to the next level, you have to forget everything from the previous, yeah, from the previous that's level. 
Oh yeah? Oh right, that's right. She told you that you need to forget all the Chumash you had learned. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, you need to fast. <laughs> Today we don't fast, we give we give tzedakah, So. <laughs> um, yeah, so so the Jerusalem Talmud is considered to have more enlightenment within it than the Babylonian. So there's even hierarchies and levels within the Talmud itself. So the Alter Rebbe will elaborate on this process as it applies to Torah study. So this is, we'll, we'll finish with this. Dehine, the idea is, the idea behind what we learn from the verse of Yitzchak going, lowering himself to the level of fear to field to clear away the evening. The Torah descended into darkness. Kamamar, as it says, that you will find me in the darkness. Ze Talmud Bavli. This is referring to the Babylonian Talmud. That distended so low, even to a point where they're discussing a scenario, as we mentioned earlier, of one Jew is lying, one Jew is telling the truth because they're both claiming that the garment belongs to them. So we can say that the lowest, lowest form of where the, where, where the Torah went into is the Talmud Bavli. But that's really where we get our most halachas and the most at the end of the day, but it is the most difficult to understand. And so this answers almost a bigger question here, which is why, not necessarily a bigger question, but another question, which is why did Hashem make it so difficult to learn Torah? And we know that when, when we say, you know, men are obligated to learn Torah their whole day, any free moment, what do we usually mean almost all the time? Talmud. When we say men need to learn Torah, we're usually, what are they usually involving themselves in? Majority of their day, if you look at any typical yeshiva and you look at their schedule, mainly Gemara. That takes up the most amount of time in their day. The, the Litvish community used to make fun of Chabad that they, yeah, but they don't know Gemara. But if, if you look at the order of the day in Tom Chet Mim, the original Chabad yeshiva, if you look in Chabad yeshivas today, most of their day is learning Gemara. Mm-hmm. And they're very good at Gemara. Um, and you can say, why? Like, if we're told to learn Torah, then why not just learn Chumash and learn the Mepharshim and learn Navi and learn Tanakh um, and, and maybe learn Mishnah? Why are we focusing mo- our most of our time in the most difficult part? And you can say, well, Hashem wanted to work our brains and make us smart, but that's not why. And the reason is because when we go into the darkest part of Torah, where Torah went down, it's the most obscure level where we have to fight in order to clear away that darkness, to reveal the light. That's where we reveal the truth. That's where we get the halachot from. That's where we get the practical application of how to serve Hashem on a day-to-day basis. So... Even to a point of... Of, of lies. Okay? We'll continue tomorrow. We'll finish the Mimer tomorrow, which will, again, elaborate on this idea. And, um, and then we'll mention that, yes, we have to descend into the darkness, but we cannot get stuck there. We have to descend there in order to clear it, in order to clear it away. Okay? So we'll finish tomorrow. Have a wonderful day. Any questions or comments on what we said today? You understand? Do you understand the verse? Yeah. Because we're not really going to go over that again. Okay. Because that's good. I know. I'm sorry that it's not this week's Parsha anymore. It's last week. But hopefully next year <laughs> when you learn it, you'll say, oh, this verse, I know, I know like the deeper meaning and lesson, and lesson behind it. Okay. I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you.